Welcome to Ballpark Banter, a podcast dedicated to exploring the 30 ballparks of Major League Baseball. We're a pair of ballpark gurus who've been to every MLB stadium and now want to take you through what it's like to catch a game at each. On this show, each ballpark gets its own episode where we'll explore its history and then dive deep into the facts, figures, and fun anecdotes that make it unique. Follow us on social at Ballpark Banter for regular doses of ballpark trivia and visit ballparkbanterpodcast.com for more information. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ballpark Banter where we are exploring the 30 ballparks of Major League Baseball one by one doing this in the same order as when we saw them all in one summer with our good friends. Eternal shout out as always, Kendall, Jack and Ruben. My name is Travis Parker-Smith, and with me, as always, is my friend and fellow ballpark guru, Kellen Larson. And today we're heading to St. Louis to explore the home of the Cardinals, Bush Stadium. Now, Kellen, as always, before we dive into the fast facts, history around the bases of this ballpark, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Bush? I think of the color red. Yeah. I remember when we were there, like, from within the stadium, it struck me as the most color-coordinated ballpark and fan base plays a big role in that that we that we saw also approaching this stadium we're going to talk about uh the ballpark village but you know you get the sense that you are very much in cardinal land when you're there which i loved i think it really established its sense of place yeah this ballpark is brick cardinals wear red the seats are red there's Read all over this part of town. It's funny that you said you right. get a very big sense of Cardinal Nation, if you will, when you're there. I totally agree with you on that. I guess I'll give kind of one other thing that I always think of, which is the sense that I am in St. Louis Nation. And what I mean by that is the Gateway Arch. The arch is visible from almost every seat of this ballpark and has been incorporated into a handful of other fun, clever elements within the stadium as well. But we'll get to that in the Around the Bases. Before we get there, though, let's go a little bit further. Orient us even more to this ballpark. What are what are some of the fast facts that we always like to cover? We always go over the other names, the previous names of a ballpark. But this one has always been Bush. The contract with the Anheuser-Busch company does expire in 2025. We talked about some naming conventions on the last episode. I have a feeling that Anheuser-Busch might re-up and that this legacy name will continue to live on. Yeah, I would have said the same thing about Miller Park, now American Family Field, but that obviously kind of lost the naming rights battle, the corporate sponsorship battle. This name goes way farther than when the ballpark was built in the early part of the 2000s. And we're going to dive into that in the history section. So something tells me that Bush as a name is here to stay. Well, Bush Stadium has a listed capacity of 45,494, landing it at eighth uh, currently on the list of ballpark capacities. So pretty big, pretty big ballpark. The largest crowd they have on record at Bush Stadium was at U2's 360 tour in 2011. That was 52,273. That is the second time the U2360 tour has notched a record attendance at an MLB ballpark of the nine that we have covered already here on Ballpark Banter. The other was Angel Stadium. If I'm not 
mistaken, you attended this tour. Yeah, I went to this tour in Seattle in 2011. It was not at Safeco Field then, but at uh, Seahawks Stadium, I believe. I think it was called Quest at the time, speaking of naming rights. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if it makes maybe one more appearance on this list. It's in the name, the 360 Tour, but it was a stage in the round. And so the floor seating was not just limited to one side of whatever field they were playing on, right? You had people standing all around, which is why you get these big capacities. So uh, yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me that we have two appearances of the same tour and wouldn't surprise me if we saw another one or two. Yeah. You know, you look at this ballpark's capacity, 45 and a half thousand, and then the U2 52 and a half roughly. That's that's 7,000 extra people. So that's your in the round right there. That's your floor seating is actually just an entire ball field almost worth of people standing. And right. Standing and and I guess zone. every every seat in the crowd because, oh, yeah, that's a given. That, you know, <laughs> would be blocked off because that's the behind the stage. There is no behind. There was no behind the stage for that tour. Well, we'll see if U2 does indeed pop up at one, maybe even multiple more ballparks as their largest crowd on record. We're now going to take you through a history of Bush Stadium. The Cardinals have been a baseball franchise since the 1800s, pretty much since the start of the sport. And for nearly all of it, they have played in a ballpark that's called Bush Stadium. The first was originally called Sportsman Park, and it was located in downtown St. Louis, having been built in 1881. Sportsman Park was an early onset of the jewel box era, and was one of the first baseball venues that popularized the suffix park. Up until then, nearly all of them were called something grounds. Think of the Avenue Grounds, the Polo Grounds, Union Grounds, you name it. Sportsman Park was beloved by the city and saw many renovations during its roughly eight decades of existence. The original team that played in Sportsman Park was the St. Louis Browns, and the Cardinals moved here after their stadium, Cardinal Field, burned in a fire. If you've listened to our History of the Ballpark episode, you'll know that stadiums burning in a fire wasn't exactly a rarity back then, unfortunately. And at first, Sportsman's capacity was just 8,000 people. But over the decades, as the Cardinals got more popular, it was renovated quite frequently and increased its capacity sixfold to 53,000 by the 1950s, when it was also renamed Bush Stadium after the local beer. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. Many see this choice of renaming Sportsman Park to Bush Stadium as the first example of corporate naming rights taking over an MLB ballpark. However, the owner of the team at the time was August Bush Jr., who owned the beer company, and he named the stadium after himself, not his organization. It was just a clever way to simultaneously promote his company. So if we take this into account, then that means the true first example of corporate naming rights in an MLB stadium came much earlier, when the Wrigley family named Wrigley Field after themselves, not technically the gum company. But that, another fun fact, originally Bush wanted to name the ballpark not after himself, but actually after his product. Except not the company, he explicitly wanted it to be called Budweiser Field. 
But back then, Major League Baseball had a strict policy against naming stadiums after alcohol. Oh my goodness, how times have changed. So he was cornered into Bush Stadium. And then, quite cleverly, two years later, the Bush Company introduced Bush Bavarian Lager, which meant this ballpark did, in fact, become the first park to be named after a corporate product and the first park to be named after alcohol. If that had happened, we probably would still have old Bud Field in St. Mm. Louis today Mm -hmm. and would change the tally of the categories between field, park, stadium, yards, etc. So that is really a a counterfactual and fascinating history. I like that too, because Bush eventually became Bush Memorial, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. So maybe Bud Field eventually would have become Budweiser Memorial Field, which (laughs) might have sounded like we laid the beer to rest. But I digress. The Cardinals continued playing at Bush until the mid-1960s when they were swept up by the multi-purpose craze and built, as I just referenced, Bush Memorial Stadium, also called Bush 2, which housed the Cardinals' baseball team and the Cardinals' football team until they moved to Arizona in the 1980s. During this time, the baseball Cardinals held the superlative naming rights. When people referenced the Cardinals, everyone knew that they meant the baseball team. The football team was referenced simply as the football Cardinals, or the Gridbirds, which is actually a pretty cool nickname for a football team. Like most multi-purpose stadiums, Bush 2 continued operating until the 90s until Camden Yards opened and sparked that return to the glory days of ballpark architecture with the retro classic style. Soon, the Cardinals' ownership group wanted to return their historic ball club to a true ballpark and began trying to push a deal through with the city of St. Louis to fund a new one. Stop me if you've heard this before, but it didn't work out initially. Between the team, the city, and the Missouri state government, no deal was to be found for almost a decade. It wasn't until a proposal was drafted to build this new ballpark in Madison, Illinois, yes, you heard that correctly, that the city of St. Louis finally kicked into gear and was able to lock in some funds. In 2004, the beautiful brick and red all over Bush Stadium, now Bush 3, opened almost in time for opening day. What I mean by this is the Cardinals began their 2004 season in this new ballpark, but the ballpark was actually still slightly under construction. So Bush opened with a capacity of roughly 38,000, but continued to make additions throughout the year, and an extra 8,000 seats were then added over the next few months. Now, before we dive into the three things that you should absolutely see if you go and catch a game here at Bush, Kellen, how does this ballpark fit into the city of St. Louis? What's its walkability score? I think it's a really cool downtown ballpark. Like I would love to live at w- the apartments at one Cardinal way <laughs> in the ballpark village, right across the street from the ballpark. It's not exactly a five tool player in terms of walkability. It's kind of squeezed to the South by I 64, which like runs right very near to the ballpark, right along the first baseline. But it's a really cool downtown park and, and this new development that they created called the ballpark village takes it a long way to being like a really festive atmosphere ballpark village was this really ambitious i would say development that in their own words um was the first time a professional sports venue was master planned and fully integrated into a broader mixed-use development so mixed-use just means both housing and businesses right there, not even across the street, just in the same kind of complex as the ballpark. 
Yeah, this reminds me of what Atlanta did right outside of Truist with the battery and what Globe Life Field down in Arlington, Texas is trying to do just outside their stadium, which is essentially create like a neighborhood that's dedicated to the ballpark, to the baseball team with bars, shops. I think the Cardinals Museum and Hall of Fame is in here as well. And then one of my favorite things is this ballpark village has its own like version of the Wrigley rooftops. One of these bars here actually has a rooftop area that is catered to watching the game from. So they actually advertise like, come, if you can't get a ticket to the game, you can still stand up on our rooftop and see the majority of the stadium within. It's cool. It's really cool. I mean, you know, 81 home games a year can already support a lot of development if you if you really localize it. And further, uh, the Ballpark Village says they have 120 free events per year. So at the different venues that they that they've developed. So this is the kind of stuff I really like. You don't, of course, have to like it this way, but they're continuing to expand the Ballpark Village. I think they've had quite a bit of success and I hope they continue to do so. As it stands, we will give it a solid uh, 60 for walkability on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. Yeah, this is a a good ball player, maybe not a perennial all-star. This isn't an 80 grade, uh, you know, once in a generational talent, but it is an easy to get to stadium with some fun elements immediately in its surroundings. Right. Do you dream of visiting every major league ballpark? Know someone who does? Or maybe you need a new gift idea for a baseball addict in your life? Check out Touch Em All, a book written by me, Travis Parker Smith, host of this show. Tracing the tale of four teenagers who drove a beat-up old hippie bus to all 30 parks in one summer, this memoir is a fun, easy read that's perfect for this baseball season. And it's the inspiration for this podcast. Order it online or, preferably, from your local bookstore. And head to ballparkbanterpodcast.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. We're now going to take you around the bases of Bush Stadium, giving you three things where, if you're lucky enough to go and catch a game here, you should check this stuff out. And if not, you should at least know about. Kellen, what's on first at the home of the Cardinals? On first is the Stan Musial statue. So like many ballparks, there is a plethora of statues encircling Bush Stadium. They stand as, as monuments to honor the Cardinals of old. However, one of them is by far and away the most important to the club, to the stadium, and to the city of St. Louis altogether. It stands outside Gate 3, the statue of Stan Musial, who's widely considered one of, if not, of course, the greatest player in Cardinals history. The metal statue was erected outside of Bush Memorial Stadium, that's Bush 2, back in 1968, a few years after Musial retired. The money for the statue was actually raised at a retirement dinner for Musial five years prior. Hmm. The artist is a guy named Carl Mose, who originally wanted to create a statue of Musial signing a scorecard for a child, but apparently he was restricted due to costs and so-called freedom of artistic expression hesitancies. So he just mirrored Musial's batting stance. I know the answer to this, and it's a complicated answer, but for our listeners, how did the statue turn out? 
it turned out, let's say it's a very interesting piece of art. <laughs> the statue is really big. It's almost 11 feet tall. It's huge. And it soars higher and higher because it stands on an eight foot pedestal. But the depiction of Musial himself is kind of disproportionate. Like his torso is massive. His bat is really tiny and he looks a little awkward. <laughs> so there are plenty of critics, in particular, a lot of sports writers in the St. Louis papers. They don't like it. They, they hate it. An op-ed arose in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch back in 2010 that called it a monstrosity. Oh. And said it was a poor representation of one of baseball's greatest players and poor called for it to be removed and replaced with a more accurate depiction. The title of the article that appeared is Musial Statue Must Go. Poor Carl Mose. Yeah. So, of course, it's still an attraction. Fans regularly go and take pictures of the thing. And sometimes it might be out of mockery rather than Marvel. Carl Mose wanted to create a statue of Stan Musial signing a scorecard for a child, just like this wholesome scene. And instead, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just then ripped for creating, you know, it's actually a gigantic. I think it's kind of a cool statue. I also think some of the critics um, need to look around at some of the other very important statues of celebrated athletes in the world. Uh, it's almost gotten yeah. to the point where if you don't have an ugly statue, you're not considered one of the greatest athletes of the world i think of the cristiano ronaldo statue first and foremost which received so much disdain when it was uh yeah, when it, it was released sign, it could be considered a sign of respect yeah the the muhammad salah statue there's that mural of harry kane and wembley that just looks yeah i don't think he looks like a yeah. human being in it so maybe stan Musial can fit in with these other legends of their own sport i think he definitely does One objectively awesome thing about the statue is the writing on the pedestal. It's a quote from retired baseball commissioner Ford Frick, who at Musial's retirement ceremony said, here stands baseball's perfect warrior. Here stands baseball's perfect knight." That is such a cool saying. We don't know what will happen with the Musial statue, but one cool cultural tidbit is it has somehow become like the de facto meetup place for Cardinals fans. Standing outside of the iconic Gate 3, it's where people meet up with scalpers or rendezvous before heading into the stadium or gather just to say hey. And so meet me at Stan has become a popular phrase in the Bush cultural lore. This reminds me of, you know, a little bias here at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Meet me at the glove. Is a common saying because there's a huge yeah, at the left field entrance. Yeah, of this huge glove uh, with a big hole in it that has become kind of the de facto meetup spot. Sounds like Bush Stadium has a similar artifact as well. Rounding first and heading to second, Kellen, you just mentioned the iconic Gate Three. I want to tell you a little bit more about it. If you get to go to Bush, we highly recommend entering this ballpark via Gate Three. This is not the main home plate entrance, but instead the gate on the third base side on 8th Street. Not only is Stan Musial's statue standing right outside of the entrance, but the gate itself is a stunning work of architecture and indicative of St. Louis history and culture in general. The gate consists of arcaded arched metal rods standing between two identical brick towers. It's a perfect representation of the materials that dominate the retro classic style of ballpark architecture with ironwork and brick galore. 
And if you think the gate looks like a bridge, you're correct. It's meant to look like the Eads Bridge, that's E-A-D-S, which is one of the classic rail roadway bridges that leads from Missouri to Illinois over the Mississippi River just outside of St. Louis. It's one of the iconic bridges on the river, and the ballpark has done a brilliant job taking time and money to pay architectural homage to one of the state's architectural feats. And perhaps because of this, the image of Gate 3 has actually become the logo of the ballpark. I'd encourage you right now, take out your phone and Google Bush Stadium logo, and the pictures that pop up are of Gate 3, with two cardinals sitting on top of either side of the emulation of the Eads Bridge. And you'll see this on promotional material and memorabilia throughout the ballpark. Rounding second and heading to third, Callan, I alluded to this in the intro section. What's on third at Bush? On third at Bush, we're going to talk about more of a concept rather than just one thing, but something we think is really representative of the stadium and the city of St. Louis in general. Yeah, I think this is cool. What we're talking about are the three iterations of arches that you can find in the park. So as everyone knows, the massive gateway arch is the symbol of St. Louis. It was built as the symbol of westward American expansion, appropriately earning it the nickname of the gateway to the west. And Bush Stadium has taken it as inspiration and featured it in various ways throughout the grounds. The first one is at the home plate entrance, which we recommend you walk by before you go into the stadium via gate three. Above the home plate entrance are a series of large brick arches that stand as an ode to Bush Stadium 2, which had a plethora of similar arches encircling the entirety of its upper deck. And I'm assuming those arches, and if you go and Google an image of Bush Stadium 2, this is the multi-purpose venue that the Cardinals moved into in the 1960s, I'm assuming these arches that encircled the top of the ballpark were themselves an ode to the Gateway Arch. Exactly, which means the ones at Bush 3 are transitively honoring that monument. But the second form is far more direct. For big games like opening day or nationally televised broadcasts, the outfield grass at Bush is often mowed so that the design of the Gateway Arch is imprinted upon it stretching from just behind third base to just behind first base and peaking deep into center field. This is one of the coolest cuts in Major League Baseball. You see a handful of teams get clever with their outfield mowing. The Washington Nationals sometimes put the curly W out there. I've seen a handful of teams put their logo or something. But an ode to the city, the city skyline, you'll you'll never see that. You see that on like NBA courts and stuff. An ode to the city like this with the gateway arches is, is pretty unique and an, an awesome feat that they can pull off. And it looks great, the shape of it. It's It's just beautiful. But that cut isn't always there. So the grounds crew will alter the mowing patterns to keep the grass fresh. But for some important games, this really, really cool monument is, well, it's visible from anywhere in the ballpark. And the final arch at Bush is the Gateway Arch itself. The park was constructed so the outfield concourse was purposefully kept low so that you can see the Gateway Arch from nearly any seat in the stadium. The best view is from the upper deck behind home plate, where you get this full vista of the field before you and the arch towering over the St. Louis skyline just beyond the gates of the ballpark. And if you're lucky, 
you might catch a game where the arch is mowed into the grass, two arches in one. <laughs> so enter the ballpark through gate three. But before you do that, go past the home plate entrance to see the little arches that honor Bush two, transitively the gateway arch. You'll get your first experience of arches, enter the stadium, go up to the upper deck concourse, check out the gateway arch. And if you're lucky, it might be mowed into the outfield as well. I love it when ballparks have really taken the city into consideration in their construction and kept like an outfield concourse low so that the city can still be viewed and and enjoyed by by spectators. We criticized guaranteed rate field a little bit for this because it's kind of hard to see the Chicago skyline um, from from the seats in that ballpark. But some ballparks like Citizens Bank in Philly or PNC in Pittsburgh or certainly here at Bush have done an excellent job allowing you not to just enjoy the baseball game that's going on, but the city that you're in as well. Rounding third and coming home, Cardinal fans pride themselves on being the best in baseball, which is a hell of a superlative at first glance. However, they might put their money where their mouth is. Bush Stadium has finished second in MLB attendance seven of the past 10 years, with the outlying seasons having the Cardinals coming in fourth, one of which was hindered by COVID. And the team that always finishes first, that's the Los Angeles Dodgers, who have a ballpark with a capacity that's 10,000 seats greater than that of Bush. If the stadiums were the same size, something tells me that Bush might see the highest attendance every year, because Cardinals fans clearly show up for their team, giving them maybe some proof to their audacious claim of being the best in baseball. That wraps it up for this episode of Ballpark Banter. If you're enjoying our show and want to support our work, you can buy us a hot dog at the next game we attend by heading to ballparkbanterpodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the book Touch Em All by Travis Parker Smith to learn more about our story and the reason behind the order in which we explore these ballparks. Special thanks as always to Kendall Young, Jack Wilson, and Ruben Palmer for their imperative role in the inspiration of this show, and to all the fans out there who dream of catching a game in every Major League ballpark. Ballpark.